Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We are continuing with our series here on Light of the East about the Eucharist from the Eastern Christian perspective. But before we Get further into that, we've got another great week liturgically in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And that, of course, is those who are on the Gregorian calendar, but yet the Byzantine calendar. We have coming up this week two great feast days. One of the birth of St. John the Baptist. Now, what's significant about that is it's seldom, if ever. Actually, it's only with Jesus Christ, the mother of God, and John the Baptist. Do we in the church focus or celebrate as a holy day, a feast day? the birth of someone or their conception. Otherwise, it's always their death or some other event in their life. For instance, the translation of their relics after they're dead for some time and things like that. However, it is only in the person of John the Baptist, the mother of God and, of course, Jesus, that we celebrate their conceptions and births. And one of the reasons, of course, is because John the Baptist was who he was. He was so holy, as Jesus Christ himself said. So we have that feast day commemorating the birth and also we have one commemorating his conception, of course, during the year, and that is unusual, very special. And also we have coming up at the end of this week, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which is a big feast day in the church, both east and west, particularly the Eastern Church. In fact, we are in the period leading up to that feast day. It's a penitential period. It's one of the four, in a sense, Lenten periods of the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Lenten meaning that we observe repentance. We go to confession. We abstain from certain foods. In this case, we abstain on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays from meat and dairy products. It's like a lesser kind of Lent. That's why we call Lent, which precedes the Paschal season, we call it the Great Lent. These other Lents, the other three, are in a sense Lent as well. They're penitential seasons. There's four great ones in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and this is one of them, the one leading up to Saints Peter and Paul. So we've got a week filled with observances of great saints in our calendar this week, which is all the more reason we have to go to liturgy and participate in the Eucharist so that we are one with these great saints and with all those who have gone before us into the next life or in heaven. And we are one with all believing Christians here on earth. That's what the Eucharist does. It's a sacrament of ultimate unity. It unifies the next life and this life. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And so it is in the Eucharist that we enter into, most intimately, into the entire family of believers, both in the next life 
and in the present life. Now, we're also talking specifically about Eucharist in the Eastern churches, and we've been talking a lot about this buildup, this bell curve, and we're still building up to that climactic moment, looking at the divine liturgy. We mentioned earlier that there's this great grand procession that occurs in which the gifts which have been previously prepared on a separate table in the sanctuary prior to the liturgy, these gifts are brought in a grand procession called the Great Entrance and then put onto the altar where they would become, of course, the body and blood of Christ. In Latin rite, they would call this bringing up the gifts. In the Eastern Church, we would call it bringing them basically around and up. It's always a little more complicated in the East, a little more elaborate, so typical. But it's called the Great Entrance. This used to originate in a separate building, actually, and it was a grand procession with the patriarch and the bishops, and it still is a grand procession, our liturgies as well. Not quite what it used to be centuries ago in the great church of Hagia Sophia, which is now modern-day Istanbul, but it still, nonetheless, is still called the Great Entrance. So the gifts are put upon the altar. Now, this is kind of a, an action of ascending or ascent. And when the priest puts those gifts on the altar, which would become the body and blood of Christ in the Byzantine liturgy, he says a prayer out loud. This is the prayer. Lord God Almighty, who alone are holy, and receive the sacrifice of praise and those who call upon you with their whole heart, accept also the prayer of us sinners. Bring us to your holy altar. Enable us to offer you gifts and spiritual sacrifices for our sins and for the people's failings. Make us worthy to find favor in your sight that our sacrifice may be pleasing to you, that the good spirit of your grace may rest on us, on these gifts here present, and on all your people. Grant this through the mercy of your only begotten Son, with whom you are blessed together with your all-holy good and life-creating spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. An important prayer of ascent. In other words, we're approaching what will be this great moment, the great Eucharistic moment of the liturgy. And so we ask God to help prepare us. And also, as we have mentioned previously, the priest prays certain prayers out loud, that's just prior to that, and he also prays certain prayers silently. And these silent prayers he prays before this great entrance are one of the few times he prays specifically for himself, so that he may be made worthy to offer this sacrifice. It is really Christ who offers, of course, through the priest. Okay, so now we're getting more and more towards what we might call the Eucharistic prayer in the Latin Rite Church, in the Western Lung of the Church. In the Eastern Church, we call it the anaphora, which means basically a prayer of offering. And that will start after the people and the priests together, everyone gathered in church, has just recited the creed, the I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. So what we're doing is we're, we're getting ourselves ready. You notice how much preparation, as I mentioned before, it's like a big wedding. So there's a lot of fuss, just like when you prepare a wedding. So much preparation for that moment of the wedding itself. And so we also have to get our minds right. And that's why we recite the creed at this point. In other words, okay, we're going to enter into this Eucharistic moment. So we all have to be on the same page as far as belief. You have to believe in this real presence. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is truly present in these gifts that will be consecrated. So we're getting our minds, our souls, our whole persons postured in the right way for this great moment. And then the deacon says this, Let us stand aright, let us stand in awe, let us be attentive to waft the holy anaphora in peace. And the people respond, Mercy, peace, a sacrifice of praise. Now the way I said it, I said it purposely, I'm going to do that again. The deacon says, 
And listen to how this is a command, very characteristic of the deacon in the Byzantine church. He has to be a very commanding person, a commanding presence, kind of the sergeant in arms, a drill sergeant in the liturgy. Let us stand aright, let us stand in awe, let us be attentive to off the holy anaphora in peace. It's a really, really a, a very commanding kind of proclamation by the deacon. And the people respond, mercy, peace, a sacrifice of praise. Now, out of the context of liturgy, that phrase would make no sense. I mean, you wouldn't go up to somebody and say, hey, mercy, peace, a sacrifice of praise. They'd say, what? But in the context of the liturgy and the deacon's proclamation, it makes great sense. In fact, what it is, it's a, in a sense, it was originally, it was a spontaneous response that then got codified into the liturgy. In other words, the people would respond somewhat spontaneously to some of the proclamations of the deacon and the priest in the Byzantine liturgy. This is what it was like centuries ago. And eventually, those spontaneous proclamations became canonized or codified as the official responses of the congregation. And then the priest will give a great blessing. He'll say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. So what's happening now is we're beginning the what in the West would be known as the Eucharistic prayer, in the East, the anaphora. That proclamation by the deacon begins that anaphora. And then the priest begins with this great blessing. Then he turns towards the altar and says, let us lift up our hearts. And the people respond, we lift them up to the Lord. And then he says, let us give thanks to the Lord. And the people respond, it is right and just. Now we start to move more deeply into the great moment of the consecration. And the priest has said some special prayers up to this point. We'll kind of move beyond that for our purposes today. But then he comes to a prayer in which he says this, We also cry out with these blessed powers, a loving and kind master, and say, Holy are you and all holy, you and only begotten Son and your Holy Spirit. Holy are you and all holy and magnificent is your glory. You so loved your world that you gave your only begotten Son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have life everlasting. Now, this prayer by the priest follows the prayer that was said by everyone, the proclamation of the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, heaven and earth are filled with your glory. And it's interesting how the priest then picks up that theme and says, we also cry out with these blessed powers. And that's very significant because what's happening as we move into the Eucharistic moment in the Byzantine Catholic liturgy is that we are taking our place literally, which also means mystically, alongside the angels in heaven. We're actually taking our place alongside the ongoing mystical liturgy, the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven. See, that's the great miracle of Mass or liturgy, the Eucharist, East or West, is that we together, East and West, through the Eucharist, enter into heaven itself. We actually do. We actually align ourselves with the angels and saints in the ongoing heavenly liturgy in heaven. And we can only do that through the Eucharist. So, when the priest says, we also cry out with these blessed powers, O loving and kind master, he means we too are crying out with these angels. we got a place at the table right with them. Then partway through that prayer, there's a little shift in the emphasis. It starts to become a little bit more narrative or historical because there's three moments in the Eucharistic prayer in the Byzantine Catholic liturgy. We're going to talk more specifically about those three moments when we return. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. 
in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Saving Jews from the Holocaust in a wheelchair. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky was born in 1865 in western Ukraine. He was an aristocrat who gave up his wealth to become a monk. He then led the Greco-Catholic Church in Ukraine through two world wars. Exiled to Russia for three years during World War I, Sheptitsky never again enjoyed good health. From 1929 until his death in 1944, he worked from a wheelchair. From that wheelchair, Sheptitsky coordinated efforts to save hundreds of Jews during the Holocaust. Next time, we'll tell you more about the Archbishop, who at the height of the Holocaust wrote, A lack of love is the source of every hardship and misery. Love is the very substance of all of God's revelation. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're moving through our series on the Eucharist. Eucharist is, well, it's the source and summit of our existence, of course, East and West. It is so vast, so really indescribable that we decided not to just try to talk about it in one or two programs, but well, we can go on actually for infinity, for eternity on this subject. But we will try to do it some kind of justice in several programs Now, I mentioned that this prayer that the priest is saying, leading up to the consecration, we're entering now deeply, more deeply into the Eucharistic prayer, or anaphora, as it's called in the Byzantine Catholic liturgy, that there's a certain shift then, becomes a little bit more narrative. And because there are three moments or movements in the anaphora, Eucharistic prayer in the Byzantine Catholic liturgy, they are the remembrance or amnesis, kind of a tough word to pronounce, but it means to remember. There's the words of institution, the consecration, and then there's the epiclesis. So what's happening now is we're introducing the amnemnesis, or amnesis, pronounced a couple of ways, which means a remembering. So the prayer shifts from glorifying God to this. 
He came and fulfilled the whole divine plan on our behalf. On the night he was betrayed, or rather when he surrendered himself for the life of the world, he took bread and it was holy and all pure and immaculate hands, gave thanks and blessed, sanctified, broke, and gave it to his holy disciples and apostles, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you for the remission of sins. Now notice the little difference there between the western lung of the church and the eastern lung. The western lung, they say, which is given up for you, my body, which is given up for you, the words of Jesus. In the Byzantine liturgy, we prefer the words, which is broken for you, for the remission of sins. But interestingly, as always, we come to the same point, we arrive at that same point, east and west, by coming at it from sometimes slightly different or complementary ways. If you say, my body given up for you, or broken for you, what I really love about this is that both words imply something very, very profound, that this is Jesus' self-emptying. This is his giving of his whole self. He was immolated. He was broken. He bled. He offered himself completely. So in saying given or broken, it's really arriving at that same profound act of complete, full, free, and fruitful giving of himself through his death on the cross, which, of course, is participated in through the mystical supper or the Last Supper, through these words, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you for the remission of sins. Then, of course, the priest, blessing the chalice, says, Likewise, he took the chalice after supper, saying, Drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Then he adds this remembrance. Remembering, therefore, this saving command, all that has come to pass in our behalf, the cross, the tomb, the resurrection, the third day, the ascension into heaven, the sitting at the right hand, the second coming in glory. And then the deacon raises the chalice in the discos, and the priest says, offering you your own from your own, always and everywhere. Now, two very significant things about this. First of all, you notice, the tone has really shifted to remembering, to an historical kind of account. So we're getting very specific about what Jesus actually did for us on this earth at the mystical supper. We call the Last Supper the mystical supper. Before that, we were giving all this glory to him. We're building up with all this glory. Now we're saying what he actually did do, and we enter into that. But the priest will say, offering your own from your own, always and everywhere. Very, very significant. Because in the sacrifice of the Eucharist, and in the Eastern Church, we emphasize very much the sacrifice. We have to understand that it is Christ self-offering. There are a number of things happening in this regard. What's happening is the gifts, bread and wine with water, are being transformed by human hands. And it means, for instance, we do not offer grapes, but we offer wine. We do not offer flour or wheat. We offer bread. In other words, substances have undergone change. Substances made by God have undergone change by the hand of humans, so we have a kind of a cooperative effort between God and the human hands, and this transformation is major. I mean, in a sense, it's violent. You know, wheat, what happens to it? It gets crushed, right? What happens to grapes? They get crushed and squeezed. The wine coming from the squeezed grapes the fermentation, a total transformation of these materials, of these substances from God, transformed physically by the hand of humans. So the gifts are being transformed. 
Then we're offering ourselves through these gifts. We're offering Christ. Christ is offering himself, and Christ is offering us. And that sounds a little bit complex. And notice that three out of the five, there's five levels here, very characteristic of the consecration, the anaphora, the Eucharistic prayer in the Byzantine Catholic liturgy. There's five levels here. Three of those five have to do with Christ himself in a very specific way. Okay, I'll go through them again. First one, gifts are being transformed. We are offering ourselves. We offer Christ to himself. Christ offers himself, and Christ offers us. So when the priest says, offering you your own, from your own, always and everywhere, this is a very, very loaded proclamation by the priest. And at that moment, the deacon is raising up those consecrated gifts. And then the people respond with, we praise you, we bless you, we thank you, Lord, we pray to you, our God. I want to look at this word offering a bit more closely, because it's very significant, especially in understanding of Eucharist in the Byzantine Catholic Church. The Greek word is thesia, which is the kind of the preferred word in the East when it comes to this idea of Eucharistic sacrifice. And it means, literally, to offer by burning. And sacrifice also means to do something holy. So we're sort of like burning something. Something is being consumed, offered up. And it's a gift to God out of love. It's the sacrificial power of love, a willing self-offering out of love. That's why we refer to Eucharist also as the Pasch, the Passover. It's a reconciliation with God. St. Augustine said that a consecration is anything that helps us cleave to God. So there's a great dimension of reconciliation that occurs in the action and the meaning of sacrifice or offering, especially Eastern Church. The Western Church has the great emphasis on the mystical supper, the Last Supper, this as, in a sense, a holy and very special meal. Certainly, it is that in the Eastern theology as well, but the emphasis in the East is more on this idea of an offering or a sacrifice, and we refer to it as a unbloody sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they sacrifice things in a bloody way. There would be the shedding of blood of an animal. And when Christ is sacrificed as the Paschal Lamb on the cross, he, of course, sheds his blood. But afterwards now, the sacrifice is no longer one of blood. It is still a sacrifice, but it's an unbloody sacrifice. And in fact, the priest will mention that specifically within the Eucharistic prayers. So the word offering and sacrifice is just loaded, a very, very loaded word here in the Eucharistic part of the liturgy in the Byzantine Catholic Church. Then we enter into that third movement or moment of the Eucharistic prayer or anaphora in the Byzantine Catholic liturgy, and that is the epiclesis, in which the priest will say, moreover, we offer to you this spiritual and unbloody sacrifice, and we implore, pray, and entreat you, send down your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts lying before us. Now again, notice the use of the words here in this prayer. What comes first? Us, not the gifts. Send down your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts lying before us. The gifts, in a sense, not to sound utilitarian, but in a sense, the gifts are a means to an end, so to speak. It means that we 
are the ones who are coming to be ultimately transformed. But we can't be transformed unless, of course, the bread and wine is first transformed and offered in Christ, by Christ, for Christ. In other words, it becomes the body and blood of Christ, and through that we can be transformed. So that's the point. The gifts are transformed so that we can become transformed. This part of the anaphora, Eucharistic prayer in the Byzantine Catholic Church, the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit, is very, very significant. And that's why we're going to save it for another program. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>